on.
Good morning. This is the Clark County Board of Equalization hearing for February 23rd, 2023. County Clerk has informed us that this meeting has been posted and properly noticed. At this time, can we please call the roll? Terry Farr. Present. Tio DeFederico. Present. Petra Latch. Present. Evan Raines. Present. Suzette Wheeler. Present. Thank you. I motion to adopt the agenda. Please cast your votes. Motion passes. Before we start, the microphone is open for any public comment. Seeing none, I will close the microphone. At this time, we need to swear in the petitioners, anyone who intends to testify on behalf of the petitioners and members of the assessor's office. Please stand and face the county clerk to be sworn in. Do you solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give during the course of this hearing is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you guys. Thank you. Now we have a statement from the district attorney's office on what the Board of Equalization is and is not allowed to do. The County Board of Equalization may determine the value of any property the county assessor assesses and may change and correct any valuation found to be incorrect to make it conform to the taxable value of the property. Any taxpayer who claims overvaluation of its real or secured personal property by reason of undervaluation or non-assessment of another taxpayer's property within any county of the state may appeal to the County Board of Equalization in the county where the property is located concerning the assessed value and present evidence. If the County Board of Equalization finds merit in the complaint, it shall increase the value of the property complained of to conform to its taxable value. A taxpayer who believes that his or her property was assessed at a higher value than another property, identical in use and comparable in location, may appeal the assessment to the County Board of Equalization. If the board finds that an inequity exists in the assessment of the value of the land or improvements or both, the board may add to or deduct from the value of the appellant's land or improvements or both, or to the property to which it is compared to equalize the assessment. A taxpayer who believes that the full cash value of his or her property is less than its taxable value computed for the current assessment year may appeal to the County Board of Equalization. If the board agrees, it may correct the land value or fix a percentage of obsolescence to be deducted from the taxable value of improvements or both to equalize the taxable and full cash value. A public officer cannot act on a matter that would reasonably be affected by the public officer's commitment in a private capacity without disclosing information in public to the chair and other members of this body. In addition, a public officer shall not vote upon or advocate the passage or failure of a matter with respect to which the independence of a judgment of a reasonable person in the public officer's situation would be materially affected by the officer's acceptance of a gift or loan, the officer's significant pecuniary interest, or the officer's commitment in a private capacity to the interests of another person. Thank you. Next item is uh, possible action on recommendations. Ms. Wagner. 
Yes, the assessor recommendations can be found on page 11, beginning on page 11. motion to accept the assessor's recommendations on page 11. Please cast your votes. Motion passes. Uh, do we have any notices of appearance? Um, we do, but I'm going to ask that we skip over to item number eight, um, since it's another uh, set of uh, assessor recommendations. These are uh, assessor recommendations for exemptions that we are asking the board to approve, and you will find those on page 17. I motion to accept the assessor recommendations on page 17. Please cast your votes. And that motion passes. Did you want to do NOAs now? Or I here? think we only have one today, so I think we can go ahead and do that one and sure. take care of that. Um, it begins on page 5717. It's case 1140. This has to do with the timely filing of an appeal. Um, and based on NRS 361.355, 356, and 357, and I believe there's one other statute that covers that as well, um, the deadline for filing an appeal to the county board would be January 15th, unless it fell on a weekend or a holiday. And for this year, um, we did have the 15th that fell on a Sunday, the 16th was a holiday. The 17th was the deadline for filing the appeal for this year. Um, and so based on this, um, we're gonna review this particular case um, and when it was filed. So if you go to page 5722, um, you can see we received this by priority mail. And underneath, if you look there under where the P is and where the postage is, it says 965 underneath there, you can see that it was mailed on 131. 2023, which was well past the deadline. Um, the statutes say that if it's postmarked by the 17th that we can't accept it as a timely filing, um, but based on this, it's not. And if we go back to the appeal form itself, you can see, and that's on page 5721, the appeal form itself was signed on January 28th. So based on this, this is an untimely filing. We're recommending that you do not take jurisdiction. Based on the information provided in testimony contained here and a motion that we deny jurisdiction on case 1140. Please cast your votes. And that motion passes. Chairman, we can remove to number nine, the review of the procedural rules relative to presenting appeals. Very well. Uh, this hearing is recorded and part of the public record. It is difficult to transcribe the hearings with concurrent multiple voices. Please do not speak if another party has the floor. If you have the floor, please speak clearly into the microphone. Please note that we do not discuss property taxes in, this in these hearings. Your net property taxes may or may not be affected by the outcome of your case. 
Procedural rules relative to presenting appeals are as follows. When we call your name, please come up to the podium, state your name and address and another microphone for the record. The assessor will briefly describe the property to the board. You will then present evidence for your case. The assessor staff will provide their evidence to support the assessor's opinion of the taxable value. You may then respond to the assessor's case, but you are limited to the rebuttal of evidence presented by the assessor. Please keep comments limited specifically to your case. Please do not address the assessor staff. The board will ask questions of the petitioner or the assessor staff. The board will discuss the testimony and information provided and move forward with the decision. If you are unhappy with the board's decision, you have the right to appeal with the state, of, uh, the state board of equalization. The assessor's office also has that right to appeal our decision. Appeal forms are in the hallway outside the doors to the chamber. Do we have any general administrative? Yes, Chairman, on page uh, eight of your agenda, we have case 603. It's third down from the top. Um, this case has been postponed to the 27th, which will be Monday. And so later when we vote on the remaining cases, I'm gonna ask you to exclude case 603 from your vote as we will hear that on the 27th. There are no other additional stipulations or withdrawals at this time. Thank you. Okay, let's get started with case 1219, CCSN SRO Inc. Case number 1219, do we have anybody representing the petitioner? Chairman Farr, I, I'm not sure if the gentleman is still here. Um, this one was part of uh, an exemption and he did receive the exempt, you approved the exemption under the assessor recommendations. He also um, appealed the value. So I don't know if he's still here in the audience. Um, we went ahead and prepared a valuation case um, because he had appealed the value as well, so. Sir, are you here for case 1219? Yes, and 799, which was the exemption request. So okay. um, can I just, um, so and 799. I, I'm sorry, I, I apologize. Okay. I was just outside, so I didn't hear the introductory uh, comments. So you okay. need to be sworn in? Yeah, I should be. County clerk, please face the clerk and raise your hand. Do you solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help yes, you I do. Please state your name and address for the record, sir. Scott McTaggart, uh, Louis Rocha, uh, law firm here in Las Vegas, 3993 uh, Howard Hughes Parkway. Thank you. Okay, um, I just wanna clear up. Um, so we have two appeals here. One was case 799, which was just voted on. That was for the exemption for 2223 fiscal year. And so that was just voted on and approved. Um, then it, his appeal was filed altogether, but he um, is also challenging the value, which would be a 23-24 valuation appeal. So the exemption that was just voted on was for 22-23. Um, I've talked to um, the manager in our office that handles the exemptions. Um, these exemptions for the, would, would roll forward to the next year. That's not determined until June 15th when the exemption deadline is. So if there's a change in ownership or a change in use on the property, 
something like that could make the exemption not roll over then to 2324. Um, if everything stays the same on the property and nothing changes um, and there's no legislative changes or anything, then, then that exemption should roll over for 2324. But we prepared a valuation appeal because the exemption isn't applied yet for 2324. And so because he um, stated on page 5730 that he believed that the value was overstated, we've, we've, um, we've completed a valuation appeal, which is what Cindy has for you today. Great. Ms. Rubina? Good morning. <clears throat> Case 1219 starts on page 5725 of the master book. The subject property is located at 1521 North Las Vegas Boulevard. It's on the southwest corner of North Las Vegas Boulevard and East Owens and is situated on 1.43 acres. It's in the northeast submarket. Um, there are 120 single occupancy furnished units built in 1999. The tenants are income qualified adults transition transitioning from homelessness or inappropriate housing. The assessor's office recommends no change to the current taxable value of $3,989,957. Thank you. Thank you, sir. The uh, property is owned by an entity which is an affiliate of Catholic Charities of Southern Nevada. So you'll see that the uh, owner of the property is CCSN SRO. And it's, a, it's an affiliate that's controlled and owned by Catholic Charities. It's part of the Catholic Charities campus, which is down, you know, just at the border of Las Vegas and North Las Vegas. It is very much a transitional housing complex, uh, getting people that uh, have been in a homeless or really horrible situations getting them into apartments that are transitional where they can uh, pay some rent, very, very low rent according to government regulations, both federal, state, and local, um, and take advantage of the services that are provided by other parts of the Catholic Charities campus. They are meant to be transitional. Uh, they have to income qualify in two ways. One, they have to have some money. They have to have some kind of income coming in so that they can pay this very low rent. It, it's meant to be a rental apartment. On the other hand, because of the way these properties, this apartment complex was financed originally through government, governmental forgivable loans, uh, conditions of which are, are still applicable to these apartments in some respects, uh, they have to be very low rent. Uh, they have to, uh, the, the tenants have to have some minimal income so that they can pay rent but they can't have too much income. The idea is to get them from homelessness into a real situation where they've got a real job, can go out and get their own apartments. This, if, if you know the campus of, of Catholic Charities, it's surrounded by homeless encampments. There are, um, there, there are no comps <laughs> for these apartments because of the income restrictions, because of the, being on the uh, campus of of and inside the perimeter, if you will, of the campus of Catholic Charities. Um, it, it loses money every year. That money that, that is lost by CCSN, SRO, is essentially covered by Catholic Charities, which as we know are, uh, uh, you know, those subsidies are financed by charitable contributions from the public, uh, governmental programs and grants. Um, there, there are just no comps. Now, 
how did the value originally get sent when Catholic Charities acquired this property and put it into this special uh, purpose unit? We had some forgivable loans under governmental programs. Um, the home loan program, if you're familiar with that. Uh, they, they were forgivable loans, meaning that uh, the construction of the apartments were financed with loans essentially um, guaranteed by, by the governments, the various governments that are, were applicable at the time. These apartments have been around for a while, uh, going on over 20 years. Uh, as long as the conditions were met during the entire term that the conditions were applicable, those loans are forgiven in whole. When we acquired the property, when the Catholic Charities affiliate acquired the property, not all the time uh, periods had run. So they were still shown as liabilities. The assessor's office, the recorder's office, required a declaration of value equal to the total amount of the loans that were outstanding, many of which had been forgiven at this point because conditions were met. But some of the conditions continue. So the assessor's office and the recorder's office basically said, uh, you've, got to re you've got to record the purchase price, which per contract was $1 uh, because this thing had no value uh, other than the social and, and, and governmental, quasi-governmental purposes for which low-income housing is constructed and, and run. Um, but there were $3.6, $3.8 million of these forgivable loans. So they said, the liability is still there until you meet all the conditions, therefore that has to be the purchase price. And then, that was the, the original assessed value, and then it's gone up since then. Uh, we were engaged to take a look at that. There, there is no way these apartments are worth the three to four million dollars that they're being assessed as taxable value, meaning what would the fair value be if somebody, a willing buyer and willing seller, looked at this property and said, you know, let's do a sale contract. And that's, that's basically, it, you, they lose money every year. Catholic Charities essentially subsidizes that through contributions. Uh, we record them as loans in case there ever is a, a monetization event. It, it's uh, built up to in between one and two million dollars since Catholic Charities acquired the property. That's the required subsidy amounts, in other words. So we felt the valuation, which was based on that artificial beginning balance of forgivable loans, many of which have been forgiven by the various governments, uh, was inappropriate at the time as it's been built upon through the number of years since acquisition. It's just continued to exacerbate the, what we feel is the overvaluation of the property. And again, I, I think even in conversations with the assessor's office, I think, there, I think there was agreement that there really are no comps for these properties. You know, they're, they're uh, low income, they're on the campus of, of, of the charity. Uh, if, if you will, they are, in, in layman's terms, they're sort of horrible. Uh, you wouldn't want your kid living in these in a dorm on a campus. Okay, does that conclude your statement, sir? Sorry? Does that conclude your statement? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Rubina. Um, before Mr. Urbana begins, I just want to um, put on the record how we do our valuation. Um, so NRS 361227, um, we do use the cost approach for evaluations. So that's replacement cost new of the improvements, uh, less depreciation at 1.5% per year, plus the land value. 
Um, we use Marshall and Swift um, per NAC 361128. Um, so the, the 3.6 million that he's speaking of, um, that was not um, valued based on any kind of loan forgiveness or anything like that. That was truly based on the cost approach. Um, like I said, using one and a half percent depreciation um, using Marshall and Swift. And so I just wanted to put that on the record. The capitalization summary is on page 5788 of the master book. The appellant did provide a rent roll and operating expenses. Those start on page 5745. Um, 5784 is the rent roll. So the potential gross income used for this analysis is the actual re re rent reported on the rent roll. Um, a vacancy rate of 10% was selected, which includes 2% for rent loss. Um, other um, PWC 22 quarter three has a range of three to 10% vacancy rates and LEED 22 quarter three reports less than 1.5% vacancy rates for the 89101 zip code. Expenses of 50% 50 50 were deducted leaving an NOI of 315,900. Based on the age, condition and location of the property, a 6% capitalization rate was applied indicating a real property value of $5,265,000, which is $43,875 a unit. We also have a comparable apartment sales grid. It's on page 5803. The sales range from $86,563 to $227,273 per unit. The taxable value for the subject is $33,250 per unit. Based on this analysis, the assessor's office recommends holding the current taxable value at $3,989,957. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. McTaggart. The only comment I would have to that methodology, which was just described, is that we believe the 50% expense assumption vastly understates what it takes to run these apartments. As I said, the the cash flow deficit year after year after year since acquisition uh, is uh, vastly different than the assumption of 50% of revenue because of the revenue restriction by, by law and, and by the rules that were applicable to the construction contract uh, with respect to this low-income housing. So when we say revenues are X, expenses are 50% of X, that's not applicable here. What expense ratio would you apply? And is that based on actuals? Based on actuals in each year. Uh, when it was owned by a prior limited partnership under the home and lift programs, uh, it's, it's never made money. It's negative cash flow almost by, by necessity. We have to provide the rental expense expenditures to keep these things somewhat habitable, and they've always exceeded what we're permitted to charge as revenues. So it's an actual calculation instead of a 50% assumption. Ms. Rabana, did you utilize uh, the historical operating statements to determine expenses? No, they were 100%. Um, okay. It's a market. Members of the board? 
the, the 33 a unit doesn't sound ridiculously high in this market where apartments have gone crazy, even though they've, they've dropped a little. The, I, I wonder if it would get a six cap rate based on the location. I, I mean, we're all familiar with this area. It's, that's so, but even with that, again, it's still at 33 a door, so I, I don't see. Yeah, imputed cap rate's almost a further, if you were at the low end of the rental range, the risk to that cash flow is minimal, right? So I, I think it might get a six, given that it's the low end. You're, you're, I, I actually think that, that you know, at a 10% vacancy loss, they're very generous. You know, if it was not um, Catholic Charities running it, you know, what could it get on the open market, right? Could it get more? Maybe, right? I mean, but as you said, you're, you're, you're kind of at the bottom end. Members of the board, any other comments? Yeah, I don't know that the income approach is, I mean, in this case, um, very helpful given the way it's being operated. And, and is it required? I mean, so this is because you're a 501c3 that it's operated this way and it has to be the low income housing or yes. is that part of the- that, That's correct. Okay, so so that goes away and it's just on the market and it's real property. It could be operated probably in a more profitable manner. Um, so although I appreciate what you're saying, your income approach is specific to your business, which is why there's a, a tax exemption, correct? This is not what we're... That is correct. Right, okay. So we're talking about the, the value of the real property, not whether they're tax tax. They're that tax is correct. Exempt. Okay, so, so there's two different issues here. So... If, if we're not talking about the tax exemption and we're just looking at the real property, which is what the assessor has to do, then they have to look at it as if it could be run in a profitable manner. So there maybe would be some upside in rent. There's maybe some decreases in expenses. It's certainly not going to be 100%. It's, you're not going to lose everything. So then that's why they use the cost approach where I think Tio made a good point at 33000 a unit. I, I don't know that there's anything available at 33000 a unit anywhere. Um, in the valley, so it, it doesn't sound, and the imputed cap rate's almost 8% for what is very low risk income, so I, I think that it's it's a fair value. Um, yes, based on the data presented, I, I move that we accept the assessor's value. May I ask a question? I mean, it, it's, it's possible that it, this is moved. I mean, I, I was not given a copy of Agenda item eight, the list of exemption uh, recommendations. When I was out in the hallway, I was trying to still get that. That was approved, correct? For last year, yes. Yeah, so. Now I, in June, they're gonna decide again. In June, they'll, this year, they'll put it back on unless something like they mentioned, you sell it, it becomes, you know, something different. Yeah, we, we cannot sell it. We're going it's to continue to operate it as part of the Catholic Charities mission. Right. It, it's it's on their campus. Nobody else would totally want it. Get it. Uh, so if the exemption was approved, yes. Okay, then this valuation issue is moot. Right. Just to clarify, <laughs> the exemption was approved for the 22-23 fiscal year. We're looking at the value for the 23-24, and just as you said, uh, Mr. DeFerrigo, that in June, that will be reevaluated and then potentially applied at that time if nothing has changed on the property. Nothing has changed on the exemption status, in other words, right? Correct. Th wh I, wh wh which we 
change to I, that. I but there, there is an application process, and you will have to make sure that they, your client turns in the appropriate paperwork so we can make sure that happens. Bye. I agree. Okay. Okay, the motion has been made for case 1219. Please cast your votes. And that motion passes. You do have the right to appeal. Doesn't sound like you will based on the other no, issue. No, we will not need to, but thank you very much. Have a great day, sir. You too. You can ask if there's any more petitioners here to testify, but I don't think we have any. Do we have any other petitioners that intend to uh, testify on behalf of their case? We do have a couple um, cases that we just need to turn in some addendum information because they did not make it into the addendum book for us today. Oh, I'm sorry, just one. And if Stephanie would like to just introduce that and hand out that information so we can make sure it gets to the clerk. Great. Uh, Mr. Cole's going to come down and just introduce the property. Great. Good morning, Mr. Cole. Good morning, Mr. Chair, members of the board, Kevin Cole with the Clark County Assessor's Office. This is case 1-1110, and it begins on page 5602 of the master book. The subject is a 164,680 square foot warehouse showroom comprised of concrete tilt-up construction that was built in 2003. Owned by R.C. Willie, the property is situated on a 13.8 acre site located at 3850 South Town Center Drive, which is at the southeast corner of the intersection of South Town Center Drive and Clark County Route 215, which is in the West Las Vegas submarket. The showroom area contains approximately 119,680 square feet while the warehouse area contains 45,000 square feet. The assessor's office recommends holding the 2023-2024 taxable value at $20,632,806. Is there anybody here on behalf of R.C. Willie? Seeing none. All we're doing is, is adding this to the agenda book, correct? That's correct, but you can go ahead and vote on this one if you want to individually, and then we'll take a vote on all the remaining cases after. Okay, based on the information provided in testimony contained herein, um, I, I motion that the value stipulated for case 110 is supported. Please cast your votes. That motion passes. Do we have anything else on that case, or do we have one more? 
No, uh, the, both of those were for the same case. Some was assessor information and then also um, appellate information. Great. Okay, so do we have any other remaining cases that need to be stipulated to or withdrawn? Uh, no, I believe we can vote on all of the all of the following cases that are on your um, agenda, um, whether they are stipulated, withdrawn, or they remain. If you could just vote on all the remaining cases that have not been heard today, except in case 603. We would like to include all of those going. We want to include those in the in the vote. I know when I told you that on the first day we did that, we did not do that correctly, but accepting the one for 604 that we already voted or that we are, is being postponed. Oh, were, 603, were sorry, 603 that's being postponed to the 27th. Okay. Accepting that one. <laughs> I motion to accept the assessor's recommendations on any cases where the petitioners did not attend this hearing or those that have been stamped stipulated or withdrawn, accepting case 603. Please cast your votes. That motion passes. Uh, microphone is open for any public comment. Any members of the chamber care to make a statement? Great. Seeing none, I'll close the microphone. Any other business, Mr. Widener? Um, yes, we have 133 cases for the 27th. Um, and I did want to just make a comment on the record um, for the board because I know we had some discussion at the last hearing regarding um, the fact that we had a 50-page agenda and we had no petitioners show up. Um, I did want to just clarify for the board that the bulk of the pages of those were for subdivision discount um, cases. And so those, you know, there was maybe one or two cases per page, but they have, you know, 200 to 300 particular parcels. So I, I wanted to make that clear. But there were five pages of um, other cases, which probably make up about 50 to 60 cases for people that did not actually show up. The other ones, um, we, the attorneys did represent uh, the developers, and they did cooperate with our office. Um, we just want to make that clear and that they had stipulated and the ones that we came to an agreement on, they went ahead and withdrew. So there was good cooperation and that's what we wanna have. The other ones um, are a, perhaps a different story and those are the ones that the petitioners did not show up on, but there were a good five pages and that's similar to today um, where we've got, obviously, we've had one petitioner show up and if you can look at the bulk of them, you'll see that they're from very similar agents today that have not shown up for these hearings and just wanted to make that on the record, let the board be aware of that. Very well. With nothing else, thank you for your time. This meeting's adjourned.